All right. Welcome to Election Profit Makers, your guide to winning and losing everything. I'm David. I'm joined by Starly. Hi, Starly. Hi. And I'm joined with John. Hi, John. Hey, hang on. I'm going to... Oh, my goodness gracious. I came out spitting hot fire. David has a hard out today, and this is not off to a good start. Immediately derailed by John's magnificent beard. I think John's doing some psychological oh, sabotaging because you said happened you happened had... once in our first season back in 2016. There was one time when John had a hard out to go pick up a child from school, and I was being very obnoxious about it. So much so that some listeners criticized my... My sadism. Hmm. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Sorry, I had to switch off Wi-Fi because my Wi-Fi is bad. What's What's the name of your Wi-Fi network? Do you have a fun name? Yeah, L O L G O P. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. That is fun. Well, it's uh, Monday afternoon. There's a lot to discuss. Since last we spoke, dear listeners, the Senate has passed Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. Pretty big. It's a pretty big stimulus. You know, in the immediate aftermath, I was really down on it because they lowered the weekly unemployment benefit and obviously the minimum wage of $15 uh, did not happen. But then over the weekend, I prayed on it. Joe Biden came out of the gate announcing a $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. The Republicans, who I feared he was going to bend over backwards to appease, countered with a $600 billion stimulus plan. And as we mentioned last week, Joe Biden basically told them that was a non-starter for him. And this bill passed at $1.9 trillion. And I have to say, $1.9 trillion is a pretty penny, monetarily speaking. The era of big government is back. John, I think you were the most excited about this $1.9 trillion stimulus plan. You never got on the Biden dunking train that Starley and I have been on for low these many years. I got a little frustrated there at the end. I'll admit that I was a little frustrated there at the end with, with Manchin messing around. But once the bill passed, it's sort of like you're watching a Carolina Duke basketball game or any game and you're you're frustrated with the game and how it's going and this person's screwing up and you don't like how the coach has played this and this particular player hasn't had the best game. And in the end, you win the game and now you've won the game and now it's not time to go back and be like, yeah, the coach really sucked at this one part. So I feel, I that's how I felt this weekend. I was like, we won, that's awesome. There were parts that I did not like, but we won and I'm excited. You know, this, there's a huge amount of checks that are going out. What do you have, like $27 billion in rental assistance and $350 billion for states and cities, $170 billion for schools. You got the $1,400 checks. You got $3,600 a year for child allowance. It's going to cut child poverty in half, which, you know, is at 14% before the pandemic began, that's really big. So I was excited. But wait, did Biden suck in the relief bill part? I don't know. As the coach, I feel like he said he was going to get this amount of money. He got this amount of money. Joe Manchin is a loose cannon that I don't know if I can if I can just say a better coach would have done a better job. I don't know if anyone can coach Joe Manchin at the point of power that he is right now. I sort of think of Joe Manchin, it's like you've got a player that's really bad on defense and everyone's just like, you know, Roy needs to tighten up here. You know, talk about Roy, Roy Williams, Williams the, co UNC the coach, coach of the UNC. And I'm like, listen, this particular player, you can't teach lateral movement. 
They either have it or they don't. They either have length or they don't. And Joe Manchin may just be the type of player he is, and Biden can't control him. He's just got to try to mix and match and, and overcome those challenges and and uh, win the game by as much as he possibly can. Well, there's also Kristen Cinema with her sassy thumbs down move when she voted yeah. against the minimum that wage. That was real popular. Yeah, but she didn't do the same thing that he did where he, Joe Manchin did the minimum wage, but then he did the, he did the unemployment. And not only did he lower the amount of the unemployment, he fought against it lasting as long as it did. Because then the Democrats countered and said, okay, if you're going to lower it to $100, we want it at least to be October. And he said no to that. So full disclosure, in the last two hours, based on a very quick perusal of Twitter, mm-hmm. I've become a huge Joe Manchin fan. I think mm. Joe Manchin is player of the year for the Democrats, right? No, no. Why? No, not right. I'm not going to go with one of your rights this time. Here's why. Here's why. Joe Manchin is a Democratic senator in a state that Trump won by 40 points. He's a Democratic senator in West Virginia. That's a Trump plus 40 state. Now, a lot of people, myself included, have this fantasy that's it's a very Bernie fantasy that once these poor saps in these red states understand their own class interests are intertwined with those of other marginalized groups, we're going to have this socialist revolution and everyone will become deep blue, hardcore blue. As I've talked about before on this podcast, I no longer believe in that class-based analysis of America's problems. I just don't think West Virginia is going to be a blue state anytime soon. No. If it's between Joe Manchin and a Republican who wouldn't have voted for this $1.9 trillion stimulus plan of billions or trillions of dollars, I'll definitely take Joe Manchin. Because fucking Cal Cunningham wasn't there to, to increase the margin in the Senate. They had no wiggle room. So Joe Manchin, like many politicians would do, like I would do, used his position of incredible leverage to pursue things that benefited, probably according to him, his friends in the business class of West Virginia, his own political career. But that actually might be good long-term strategically. And here's why. Joe Manchin has been all over cable news now. He's the most famous boy in all of Washington, D.C. Everybody loves Joe Manchin because he's a fiscally conservative Democrat in a right-wing state. He was the guy who said, we're not going to do this crazy $15 an hour. It's just too much money to give people. It's going to bankrupt everything. I'm not going to abolish the filibuster. I'll never do it. I love norms and traditions. Now he's going around saying that any new plan for infrastructure is a non-starter unless we have Republicans in from the get-go. Everybody now thinks that Joe Manchin, the conservative Democratic senator from West Virginia, is the responsible one. He's the one who's going to keep Joe Biden from falling prey to these hippies who are secretly controlling him like puppet masters. He's the but foil. Then what do, but what does Joe Manchin do? Joe Manchin then, now that everybody loves Joe Manchin, I see John Nod and I see you read the same Twitter thread. Yeah. Now everybody on the right side of the aisle loves Joe Manchin so much. What does Joe Manchin do? He turns around and says, I'll tell you one thing about this infrastructure bill. We're raising the corporate tax rate to pay for it. We're going to raise the tax rate to pay for the infrastructure. And he also said... Hey, guys, I only said I was against abolishing the filibuster. I didn't say I wasn't against reforming the ever-living fuck out of the filibuster. Joe Manchin is basically prepping everyone for saying, listen, from now on, if you're going to filibuster, 
You're going to have to get on the floor and do it in your comfy Crocs or whatever. You're going to actually have to stand on the floor and filibuster. No more of these vague potential filibusters where now the new norm is, well, you just need 60 votes. Why do you need 60 votes? Because of the filibuster. Why? What's the filibuster? Well, nobody does it anymore, but it was this magical thing where someone had to talk forever and ever. What a shock that a 73-year-old white man wants us to go back to the days of Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Wow. That's what he's nostalgic for? Well, listen. I know. I understand the strategy. I understand. But like he, I think it's a combination of uh, long game and cockiness. He is so arrogant. Of course he's, they're all arrogant. But it's not all because he's like, he's not, he's not the stealth Bernie. No, he's definitely not, he's not a, definitely not a stealth Bernie. But what I'm saying is if it comes around that Joe Manchin is the conservative, responsible, quote-unquote, Democrat, who's now his brand is, listen, I'm not one of the crazy ones. I'm one of the responsible ones. And the responsible thing to do is to raise corporate tax rates so we can pay for a massive infrastructure bill. Mm -hmm. This is after he voted for a $1.9 trillion stimulus bill. Joe Manchin is responsible. He's He is the deciding vote on two of the party's biggest priorities in the last five years. He was defending the uh, ACA, and this this bill injecting two trillion dollars, it's uh, you know you got to say he got results. But he was a deciding vote because he did it because he voted, not because he's the one who made it to a trillion dollars. In his mind, he was like West Virginia. I have to lower the minimum. I have to make the minimum wage not go up because I have to protect my business owners of West Virginia. But he could have voted no. I mean, yeah, I he could have. But I'm not going to give him credit for voting yes on something that should have been voted for. Of course he could have, He's a, but he shouldn't have. He's a Democrat. He should actually believe in this stuff. And I don't know if he's right. It, the way he was fighting the unemployment stuff, who knows if he was actually anticipating what the Republicans would have thought about. Seems like he got a little a little, little high on himself towards the end. Like the extra, when he said, no, it can't go to October, that is his personal principles. Right, right. Joe Manchin is not the principles, not my principles, not your principles. No, he's he's not. But Joe Manchin, like all of the senators, is out for Joe Manchin. Right. And he wants to get reelected. And right now in West Virginia, Joe Manchin is getting destroyed by the left. The left hates Joe Manchin. And you know what? That plays in West Virginia. That's a plus 41 Republican state. Joe Manchin loves the fact that he's getting crushed by the left, and that may help him get reelected. I'm I'm not sure even with all that that he 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 may still be in trouble getting reelected. But it's not because he's conservative; it's because he's a Democrat. I understand why we need Joe Manchin. I understand. I know. I understand not why we need him. I understand why he holds the power he holds. But I'm not giving him credit for being the deciding vote. I'm like, what a curious situation we're in that it falls down to Joe Manchin. My attitude towards Joe Manchin is now that his ego and who knows, maybe some of his deeply held fiscal beliefs have propelled him into the spotlight, the most important Democratic senator in, in, in this year, let's see what he does with his leverage. And if he uses his leverage and his new brand as America's most responsible, <laughs> responsible, fiscally conservative father Democrat figure, if he uses that to press for an increase in the corporate tax rate so that they can pass an infrastructure bill, if he uses this to lobby for, for real filibuster reform that makes the fake-ass filibuster that we've all suffered under for the, all these years basically untenable, then good for Joe Manchin. That's all I'm saying. But he also could have gotten rid of the filibuster. He could do that. Yeah. Yeah, he could be better. I don't, I'm not saying Joe, I'm not saying Joe Manchin is my favorite senator, 
But I'm saying as far as you're senators kind of from West— that. You're kind of saying he's your favorite. <laughs> what I'm saying is as far as senators who could conceivably be elected in the state of West Virginia, I'm willing to give Joe Manchin one half of the famous kid Midas benefit of the doubt to see how he plays these next few issues, the infrastructure bill and filibuster reform. I might turn right around and be right back on the I hate Joe Manchin train. We should primary Joe Manchin from the left in West Virginia. Oh, that's going to work. But for now, I'm saying let's see how Joe Manchin plays this. There's another good thing that came out of the unemployment. I think he was pushing it by saying it can't go to October. I think that was him just truly unable Feeling to resist. His oats. Yeah, but the other good thing that came was he was able to get $10,000 um forgiven for unemployment last year. So when people are taxed, they're taxed $10,000 less than the unemployment on the unemployment they received last year. Giving credit where credit's due. Sounds like mm. somebody loves Joe Manchin. <laughs> Imagine. Come live in my Joe Manchin mansion, Starly. It's going to be a TikTok house with a bunch of influencers, and all we do is make TikToks about Joe Manchin <laughs> yeah. and how great he is, and it's called the Manchin Mansion. Is Beckett invited? Beckett. I wonder what Beckett thinks of Joe Manchin. Oh, he loves Joe Manchin. Are you going to play the clip of him calling Jake Tapper Chuck? What happened? He called. He went on Jake Tapper last weekend and kept calling him Chuck. And I guess he oh. thought he was Chuck. Chuck Todd? Yeah. That's how I'll th- I'm sure Joe Manchin was coached extensively by his media people to be like, now pretend you don't know who these people are. That will really endear you to, to your voters if you can't tell one <laughs> New York liberal bigwig elite o- from the other. I'm sure Joe Manchin knows who all these people are because he's rocking, he's rocking all these TV studios within an inch of destruction. Every time you turn on the TV, it's Joe Manchin saying this and Joe Manchin saying that. Oh, he should have showed up in that Oprah Winfrey interview last night. What interview was that? <laughs> Oprah went, so as many of you know, this has been a hard time for me because my heroes at the Lincoln Project have fallen into disrepute and chaos. And this is after I had donated $500,000 of my hard-earned money to their causes of zippy and zappy videos to zing Trump and single-handedly flip the Senate, the House, and the White House in the most recent election. And now more idols of mine have fallen into disrepute. The first, of course, is New York Times columnist David Brooks. According to a BuzzFeed article I tried reading 50 times, (laughs) David Brooks was working with something called the Aspen Institute on a new initiative called the Weaving Project, or Weave, where humans were going to weave communities of connection using the wonderful and non-problematic social media site Facebook. Mm. Facebook was throwing money at Weave. Weave was throwing money at David Brooks. David Brooks was not telling the New York Times about any of this, even as he was writing about Facebook in his columns. All of this came to light thanks to some intrepid reporting at BuzzFeed. And now David Brooks has dissolved his association with either the Aspen Institute or Weave or Facebook. I couldn't tell what, I couldn't tell really what happened. Um, The important thing is that he will keep writing books like The Road to Character and scolding all of us for being ethically compromised, whereas he floats above everybody pocketing a quarter million dollars a year from shady financiers. Should we give Joe Manchin credit for that? I'm sure that was Joe Manchin. For David Brooks dissolving his relationship? I wouldn't put it past. Joe Manchin right now in my mind is like Batman. There's nothing this (laughs) cat can't do in the dead of night. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that happened, my other favorite institution— We have the Lincoln Project, we have David Brooks, and then we have the Royal Family. This is a famous institution in um, England, one of the main countries whose accents I can do flawlessly. It turns out the Royal Family uh, are less than ideal (laughs) (laughs) in-laws. I never would have thought that, but according to a blockbuster Oprah Winfrey interview last night with um, Meghan Markle and, and Prince Harry, 
that's the case. So it's been a rough week for me and my idols. Well, you know what I think the buzzword of the week was? What's that? Falsehoods. Falsehoods Falsehoods. were spread about Meghan Markle. Falsehoods were also revealed to be part of the story of another one of your idols. A certain boy who hails from the same great state that both of you do. Oh, I forgot about my fourth one, and this is the most painful one. And now Starly is tormenting me with the slings and arrows of character assassination. My golden child, Madison Cawthorn. Yeah. The youngest member of Congress in the history of the United States, a mere 13 years old. Mm -hmm. This inspirational young conservative whose first tweet after getting elected in the most recent congressional election was cry more libs. Got into politics because of Beckett. Beckett's influence. (laughs) (laughs) Beckett convinced him to run in a massive psyops campaign to drive me to the edge of distraction. Madison Cawthorn, the pride of Carolina, the pride of Western Carolina. (laughs) Falsehood. Oh, it's all coming out about my boy Madison. (laughs) I think we touched on it last week, but there have been more more revelations about his time, about his about his one semester as a D student at Patrick Henry College before dropping out. He decided to try to molest every female student on campus. Then we come to find out that all, and we talked about this before, but he he wasn't. He, <laughs> Madison Cawthorn was in this car accident with his friend, and he told everybody that his friend left him to die as the car was engulfed in flames. Then his friend was like, his, fr- his friend was like, I pulled you out of the car. What are you talking? <laughs> I saved your life. You're going around telling everybody I left you to die, and I ran into the woods. John, this would be like if you and I were in a car accident. (laughs) And I was stuck in this car because I had my feet up on the dashboard and we slammed into something and and I wrecked, you know, he's paralyzed. Like, that sucks, sure. But then I went around telling everybody, yeah, and John Kimball, my so-called buddy, left me to die as the car was engulfed in flames and he ran into the woods. That was the detail that Madison Cawthorn said. My best friend ran into the woods. No, you two tried to save him, you psychopath. Yeah, I I would try to save you, man. I'd do my best. And then he said, and that's why I didn't get into the Naval Academy, because my legs got fucked up. He got rejected from the Naval Academy before the car accident. Then he said he was training for the Paralympics. He wasn't in the Paralympics. He didn't qualify for the Paralympics. I feel like the fact that he lied about his friend leaving him for dead says more... Like, if he didn't do that, everything else you would be like, he got in a car accident, he's paralyzed, who knows how that fucks you up. Right. Like, who knows how that affects your grades. I'm not saying it it gives him license to sexually harass, but he'd be messed up. But the fact that he lied about the event that messed him up, that the the one person who shared this with him, he turned against and made the story, shows his character was un was unaffected by the car accident. That's the real him. Even being getting in a car accident and getting paralyzed couldn't change the core of Madison Cawthorn's character. Yeah, that's a good point. So Madison Cawthorn obviously is going to be up for re-election in, in uh, you know, two years. Yeah. Mo Davis, the guy who moved to Western North Carolina to run against him and got his ass kicked by Madison Cawthorn, lost by 12 points, has basically announced, I'm not running again because I don't think Democrats can win this seat and also I don't want to get killed. Yeah, he doesn't want any, he's sick of the death threats. So He doesn't want enough. any more death threats. Fair so enough. someone else has stepped up. Someone who is not afraid has stepped up. John Kimball, I know you're so stoked for this candidate. Yes. So why don't we, let's get on the Madison Cawthorn beat before any other podcast. And let's just ride Madison Cawthorn's ass until the wheels fall let's off. Let's do it. 
I mean, yes. John, tell us about who's up against Madison Cawthorn in North Carolina's 11th. Jasmine Beach Ferrara, who is a minister. She is a gay minister in Asheville. She's on the Buncombe County, um, what is it? The Buncombe County Board of Aldermen or something. Uh, and Jasmine went to Chapel Hill High School. She's actually- Here we go. Class of 1993. I know the guy. Here we go. She actually was class president, ran as a write-in against a guy I know, Charles Irons, who was the a prohibitive favorite. And she beat him with a write-in campaign. She's ruthless. She's like Joe Lieberman up in here. We love to see it. And she has been an incredible activist for gay marriage over the years. And um, I actually once had a conversation. <laughs> Should I tell the story about the freeway vlogging? <laughs> I once, I, I, I've met her a few times and I once had a conversation with her. So back in during the Bush administration, there was something called freeway blogging. I heard it as three-way vlogging. Before no, we said it, it the first no, time. Freeway. <laughs> Starly, this is even sexier than that. Right. And freeway blogging was basically where you would just go out and do guerrilla marketing and put up signs on the highway that say, Bush lied, thousands died. I can't believe you used to. I can't believe you used to do this. The, when you told me about you doing this years later, I was stunned. You're talking about making massive signs, massive banners, and doing banner drops from overpasses and stuff, right? Yeah, exactly. I used to do it. Yeah, I would wear my my uh, 3M N95 mask and do the spray paint down in the basement, and then I would go out at night and put these things up. I can't believe you used to do that. I did. I did. Back in 04, and I was talking— to Jasmine Beach Ferrara about this. And she said, you know what? I, I did the same thing in Asheville and actually got arrested doing it. So she's very cool. Are you kind of jealous that she got arrested and you didn't like it because it's so much tougher? Yeah. There's still time to get arrested, John. No, she's, she's, she's way, way tough. And she is out there now and has declared that she's going to run against Cawthorn. She's going to run in the, in the primary and see if she can be the Democratic nominee in, this, in the district in the North Carolina 11th. So which one has your vote? I think she's going to have my vote. Don't say, don't speak too soon. You don't, you have to, don't you have to get all the facts and learn everything about the <laughs> candidates? And We have to get more facts from Madison Cawthorn about his life. Be like, and then when I thought things couldn't get any worse, a dinosaur came out of the wall and, and attacked me because I stood up for my Second Amendment rights. This kid, I can't, oh, this kid oh, makes me so mad. But she's raised so much money now. She's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars and, and has well, all her these- Well, her first, ad, she already has an ad up online. It's a great ad. Is his best friend who he lied about leaving him for dead her <laughs> campaign manager? <laughs> He's still running through the woods trying to get away from Madison Cawthorn leaving his friend to die. There is a possibility that that uh, district gets- you know, we, we do have redistricting coming up and North Carolina is going to have a congressional district added because of all the people that are, are moving here. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if that has any effect on that district and perhaps it becomes a little bit tighter. So we'll see. What was good about her video, her ad? I mean, she's, she's just walking around a farm in some boots, looking tough as shit, talking about football, talking about North Carolina barbecue talking about gay rights. It's awesome. It's the future of North Carolina right there, yeah, right? Yeah. Look at John so happy right now. Jasmine no. Beach Ferrara, <laughs> dear yeah. listeners. For now, she has the EPM endorsement against Madison Cawthorn. Do you think she's sitting around 
talking to her friends, doing her podcast, talking about meeting John Kimball once. <gasps> oh, she doesn't, she doesn't remember me, I'm sure. Don't say that. You don't know. You're very memorable. John, was your freeway blogging the politically righteous, unintended consequence of our dedicated late-night vandalism sprees as, as young people? Do you think that you were able to channel that anarchic energy and that love of spray paint and sign-making into something that was actually politically useful and righteous? Yeah, I think it was. You know, I think our vandalism, we we would more like actually spray stuff onto buildings and things like that. I never did any of that with the freeway blogging. It was all on cardboard used to have slumber parties out and, and have our sleeping bags out on the porch. And then we would go into full on Alcatraz mode, Starly, before we snuck off to go do our mischief. We would stuff our sleeping bags and, and make little he- fake heads really? and, and bodies and stuff. So that if my parents happened to wake up and check in on us, they would see they would see four sleeping good boys in their sleeping bags. Yeah, I think we even used wigs. I think I had a wig and I even put a wig on a styrofoam head once to make it look like we were real humans in sleeping bags. I think one time we went to a neighboring neighborhood and just labeled the mailboxes because um, there were freestanding mailboxes at the end of driveways. And I remember once just spray painting the word mailbox on the side of the mailbox and thinking this was like as great as that famous painting of the pipe that's not a pipe or whatever the hell that French fucker was up to. It was that type of stuff. Super yeah. clever. Like, you know, this isn't this isn't like regular vandalism. This We go to Chapel Hill High School. So it was this is ironic like, vandalism. It's like yeah. meta vandalism. So honestly, it's not even a crime. It was that type of stuff. Oberlin. Madison Cawthorn. Thank you, Starly, for bringing up this painful reckoning that I must have. Mm-hmm. But now, Starly, I'll turn the table on you, and now we can talk about someone that you used to love with mm. your whole heart who's fallen on hard times and whose failure I'm literally invested in now. Why don't we speak now of New York Governor Andrew Cuomo? We sure messed up, didn't we, not getting in on the 34 cents? Oh, my goodness gracious. We tried. We tried. We were trying. You know what, Starley? That was one of those times where we needed to put in a bid higher than the asking price. You put in a bid when it's going up like that. You just go ahead and put in a bid at forty-five cents, and then if if the if there's a lower ask, it'll actually it won't fill it at forty-five. It'll fill it at you know thirty-nine or forty or something like that. So oh. we should have done that, but we were in the middle of recording a podcast, so. We were chasing it. So wait, here's my question. So since we last recorded, it's been daily bad news for Andrew Cuomo. Like my phone is now just headquarters for (laughs) Andrew Cuomo bad news. There's nothing else in this phone anymore. How come he's been, the price is so high though on whether he's still governor. It's at 57 cents right now. It was at 64 cents. Because he's not going to resign. I know, but why isn't it even, but that, why isn't it even dipping with every time a new accusation comes in? Why aren't the waves crashing upon the shore? You know what I think? Yeah. I think people have overlearned the lesson of or or the this this idea that we're in a post-resignation society where all you have to do is wait it out and it'll go away. I think maybe people are have too much faith in that. Mm-hmm. I finally filled 200 shares. I got 200 shares at 44 cents. No. Will Andrew Cuomo be governor of New York at the end of the year? I have 200 shares at 44 cents. No. Wow. So you bought those from me. Oh, that's cute. Because I've been buying yes. I have 200 shares of yes for an average of 53 cents right now. Because it's at the end of the year. It's March. This is nine months. I have nine months for him to not be the governor at the end of the year. But it's going to keep going up. 
every day he doesn't resign, it's going to keep going up? No, not no. this early, not this early. Well, what I'm doing is buying at 53, selling at 62, buying at 55. I'm just going up and down. I'm making good money on this right now. You're having a nice little day at the beach. Right now, I'm up $8.02 on a $107 investment. That's not terrible. There's a correlation with another one of our fallen idols that I just noticed when I was reading up on the accusations. Who? Well, let me, I'll read you this quote. And you I can't can, handle any more of my idols falling. I'll read this quote, and you can tell me who are, who's the first person that comes to mind. All right. Asked about the incident, Mr. Cuomo said that kissing and hugging was his usual and customary way, way of greeting. Is there anyone that that reminds you of? Kissing Cal Cunningham, kissing and hugging across the land. Yeah, he's doing a cover. He's doing a cover of Cal Cunningham. Well, it didn't work out for Cal, so maybe he shouldn't do that. Cuomo has a little more political capital than (laughs) Cal Cunningham. But I will say that there are two reasons I think I feel good about my position. The first is the Cuomo stories are now not just about his staff deliberately deliberately fudging the statistics about nursing home deaths. Mm -hmm. The stories are not just about more and more women coming out and saying Cuomo was a creep, Cuomo made me feel gross, Cuomo was unprofessional. We now have the stories, and these are when, these are like, when you read one of these stories, you feel like such an insider. Because now we're getting the stories of, Albany is turning against Andrew Cuomo. It turns out everybody hates this guy, and his circle of confidants is getting smaller and smaller as the walls close in. That's what I said last week. Here's my here's my question to both of you about Cuomo and, and what happens by the end of the year. Will the end of COVID, COVID basically being over, let's say it's over by late summer, it's just like we're truly past it. Does that help Cuomo because it puts his, quote unquote, success in guiding New York through COVID into sharper relief? Or does it hurt him because now people are like, well, the one good thing about him was COVID and COVID's gone. So fuck him. Let's get somebody else in there. I think it hurts him. And I think it's already hurting him because of the nursing home stuff. I think if the nursing home stuff hadn't come out, he would have been able to coast much longer on the goodwill of of what he did during COVID. But that's being undone. And then by the if by the end of the year we're just back to normal society or a proximity, a reasonable proximity of it, I don't think it helps him to have COVID over. It's like how worst thing for Giuliani was when 9-11 was over because he was Mr. 9-11 and people would forgive everything as long as Rudy Giuliani was Mr. 9-11. I don't know if that was the worst thing, though, because he got such a sweet job. with. He's held in such high esteem. He holds such a place of prestige in our collective consciousness. I'm not sure if he does anymore. Don't say that. He's still my number one guy. No, he's like, he's literally the lowest person in the country in terms of who we respect. There's no one we respect less than Giuliani. Like the way they showed that list of the line we had to wait in for our vaccines when they first were rolling (laughs) it out. That's Giuliani. He's the absolute lowest. Do you think Cuomo will run again if he weathers this? I don't think so. I think I think that that will probably be the way he survives. He says, "Listen, I'm not going to run again, but I'm not going to resign." Damn it! I do uh, recognize the potential of him being impeached. It does seem like he doesn't have a lot of friends in the legislature. There, the Senate Majority Leader, the Senate Majority Leader, is calling on him to resign. Andrea Stewart Cousins said he should resign because he's a distraction. But I still don't think he resigns unless it's obvious that he's going to be impeached. And it's not obvious he's going to be impeached yet. 
So, but if a bunch more stories come out, then that changes. But these stories, each and of themselves, one or the other, it's not really moving the ball forward that much. And the predicted traders, and maybe they're just cynics, are obviously not moved by it. Uh, I think it. I think it got down to fifty-two cents last night at one point, but then it always quickly recovers. He's very. He's very lucky at the timing because those stories are uh, damning. There's so much um, what contemporaneous correlating um, evidence corroboration corroboration, but the, it being reported as it happened in real time. Um, with the sexual harassment stuff, he's really benefiting from the, the, the phase of Me Too that it's coming out in, and, and probably the pandemic, the phase of the pandemic too. Right. No, I see what you're saying. If it had come out during there was a friend, more of a frenzy at the beginning, he would really be hurt. I think now people have sort of corrected to say, well, maybe we should allow to- more time for an investigation here. And I think that, that allowing time for that investigation helps him, I think. Now you got me feel. Now you got me feeling like he's going to stay in office till the end of the year. Damn it! Can you imagine? The- <laughs> Think about this: the Schadenfreude that Cuomo must have felt as Bill De Blasio decided to run for president and just had one of the most epic f- failures of a candidacy of all time. And De Blasio is probably so mad and frustrated that Cuomo that Cuomo got to have so much glee over De Blasio's failure. Now imagine De Blasio's happiness at Cuomo fucking up the nursing home stuff, the sexual harassment stuff. Everyone in Albany hates him. Those two guys. Remember how Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is much worse. This yeah. is like, oh my goodness. Why does New York have either of those guys? Oh, my gosh, New York. Wow, New York. Come on now. New York, I'm telling you, none of it's good. It's, Whoa. It's, it's, it's bad, man. You're saying you're going on the record and saying New York, colon, none of it's good? <laughs> That's a strong bumper sticker. It's bad. What about Broadway? What about Central Park? What about the Adirondacks? But political, political stuff. None of it. It's just, it's, it's nasty. What city is good, though? What city is, what, what city is good politically? Chapel Hill, North Carolina, man. Yeah. Shit is righteous. What state? North Carolina's not as bad as New York. Um, well, what are you talking? Now, I, John, this is, no. That take might have been so hot it doesn't exist. I mean, I don't think I don't think there's a bunch of corruption uh, that you have in places like New York or Rhode Island or uh in some of the places in the deep south, uh, you know, Louisiana, things like that. I think there's certain states that have a reputation of being pretty above board. The the North Carolina legislature has certainly done some stuff that I disagree with that I think is gross, but it's not like uh, corrupt. What about your guy who wouldn't? What about your guy who wouldn't leave office after he lost? Um, in 2016, the guy who was like voted out, but like was contesting it. Oh, Pat oh, McCrory, McCrory, the governor, yeah. when he yeah. lost to Roy Cooper. Yeah, what did he, he, you like him? John, you're a big fan of Pat McCrory? Yeah, why do you, why are you always talking about how much you want to kiss and cuddle Pat McCrory, John? That's true. Didn't he lose and then he yeah, said- Yeah, he, he lost and he said, but that's just, stand, I mean, it was a close election. It was, you oh, know. Oh, <laughs> so that's just standard. When North Carolina does it, it's standard. When it's <laughs> New York does it, a city that just survived being the epicenter oh, of the pandemic, John, nothing getting, good. I have to say you're getting, you're getting heartily zinged here. Yeah. 
Yeah. We don't want to start a war between New York and North Carolina. That's pointless. We need to come together. New York and North Carolina, I would say they're both states and they have their good things and their bad things. Can I say one more thing about North Carolina and political news? Erica Smith, who was the Democratic, who ran in the Democratic primary against Cal Cunningham and lost that primary, has announced that she is again running for Senate. This time she'll be running for Richard Burr's seat because Richard Burr is not running again. And a potential challenger on the Republican side will be Laura Trump, the wife of Eric Trump, the Trump brother that John said is a better kisser than the other Trump brother. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not convinced she's going to run. God, I hope she doesn't. Do you think she'll win? No, I don't think she'll win. No. I have 200 shares in Laura Trump not running and I'm up. Oh, really? But I kind of want her to run. I kind of do want Laura Trump to run. Why? I'll tell you why. I think the Trump family is in a is in a sticky situation right now for the first time in their lives. And the sticky situation is, can this cult of personality be passed from the patriarch to one of his offspring? Can another Trump win a national office? Or was this just Donald Trump, the singular personality that this individual maniac who had such a strong and specific brand in the mind of Americans, can that magic and that juice flow to another Trump? Can we actually have a Trump dynasty? No. But I'm afraid to test that because I actually do think it's maybe not Laura Trump, but I do think Eric or Don Jr. or Ivanka, Ivanka could... Ivanka. Ivanka's the only one. <sighs> the others are just too dumb. <laughs> 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 do we can't do it? Does America cares about dumb, about too dumb. Yeah, they're not look, smart look, like Donald. No, Trump. here's the thing. No, Do- D- Donald Trump is dumb, also, but he has charisma that Don Jr. and Eric never had, and never will have. Yeah, Eric is Eric is less than charismatic. Don yeah. Jr. tries to have charisma. He's making but so many videos. Worse. He's, he's yeah, making, making so many videos. <laughs> John's always sending me these Donald Trump Jr. videos, and I can't watch them because it just sounds like his like he's having trouble breathing. It causes me so much stress. Like out of breath. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then I asked John when he sent one to Starley and me, and John said, yeah, he sounds that way because he's probably destroyed his septum from snorting Adderall and cocaine for decades. Maybe he's had some damage from COVID. He, I mean, he had COVID. He, That's maybe true. He's, he did uh, have COVID. As he said, I caught the Rona. Oh, who can forget his immortal announcement? Yeah, it was, what a cool way to say it. Yeah, so cool. But I, I think his followers want desperately to believe in the Trump brand and family legacy that they might do the work for the kids. They would do the heavy lifting. Oh, interesting. And maybe the worse they are at it, the better it would be. Oh, that's true. Because because then the followers would have to invest more in convincing themselves that these people were actually worthy heirs to the Trump throne, in which case that in, that investment would make them double down on their support no matter what. Yeah, and then you throw in some QAnon stuff. Oh, my God. Yeah. All that, yeah. All, every time you, you have, you need some connective tissue, you just make something up and then you have an ideal candidate. Now you're making me think I should say that Laura Trump will run. No, you should not want it. Even if you say she's going to run, you should not want it. I don't know. I mean, I do kind of want to. What what I want to happen is one of these Trumps to run and get clobbered. And then it's like. But it won't. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you want that. And then it's. I don't think it will happen. 
You're saying the risk of that situation not going the way I want it is too high. Yeah, if you're, I don't know if you can take it. Listen, man, after the Lincoln Project and the royal family and David Brooks and Madison Cawthorn, I can take the disappointment. What's one more disappointment? Whew. Too many heroes with feet of clay. It's time to get back into pedal misconnections, my friends. Matt wrote us. Oh, I don't know if I... Did I send this one to you guys? Listen to what Matt said. I want to let you know it's not just mail carriers who are podcast enthusiasts. I am a bus driver. And I spend eight to 10 hours a day listening to podcasts. So Matt listens to podcasts while he drives his bus. Matt, if you're listening to this podcast right now, do us a favor. Give that bus horn a little honk honk. I want to hear a little beep beep on that bus horn. Doesn't matter what situation you're in. Matt says, I've made it through your back catalog. I'm planning on listening to How My Grandmother Won World War II. That's a podcast my friend Enid made that we recommended, a great podcast. He says, I'm always looking for fresh material to listen to, but I'm writing in now about a pedal connection. He says, I want to say right off the bat, I'm not looking for a pedal for myself, and I don't have a pedal to trade. Okay, that made me get very anxious. But then Matt continued, a dear friend of mine has a birthday coming up. He's very musical and he's begun building synthesizer modules. I don't really understand what he is doing. He's tried to explain it to me, but without seeing it, it is hard for me to understand. Matt, that's totally fine. Most normal people don't understand synthesizer modules, including myself. Matt says, for obvious reasons, I have not been over to his house or I haven't seen him in a while, but I'm looking forward to purchasing an interesting pedal or module to give to him. I would like recommendations on what I should get him. He makes a lot of electronic mood music and he plays the keyboard and a bit of guitar. My budget is $100 plus shipping to Canada. Matt, the bus driver has a $100 budget to buy a pedal for his musician friend who he doesn't understand. I was very touched by this email. This is very, this is a, Matt is a good friend and he's a good bus driver, I would say. Is that a lot or a little for a pedal? Well, it's not. Is that like West Virginia or, like, or is it? <laughs> Joe is Manchin it? would say it's a lot <laughs> because maybe that's, <laughs> but it's not, I mean, it's not a lot for okay. a pedal. But you can get something good. What's the most a pedal goes for? Not the absolute most, but what, what are the high-end? A high-end new pedal, the average, quote-unquote, high-end new pedal is probably between two and $300. Okay. All right. And then some of these vintage pedals that well, are then, collector's then you're items, thousands, they're, you're thousands yeah. of dollars. Right. right. All right. So we have $100 to work with. So one of our options, obviously, is to go on Reverb.com, Matt, and um, buy a used pedal. But I'm going to recommend for you... And I don't know why I'm going to recommend it. It's just that I bought one for myself as a, as a Christmas gift, and it cost $90. And it is Canadian, so you'll save on the shipping. There's this guy, and he makes pedals under the brand name of Montreal Assembly. I assume because he probably lives in Montreal. And he put out this crazy fuzz pedal. It's a crazy gated fuzz. It's called Your and Your. The first your is Y-O-U-R, and the second your is Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. This guy always names his pedals super esoteric names, which is part of his mystique. This is a, a, a very gnarly gated fuzz, and you can control the, uh, the sweep of the fuzz with an expression pedal. And it's probably not great for mood music, but I think we should challenge your friend. If this is a birthday gift, I'm assuming it is. We should challenge him as he grows older to expand his sonic horizons. So go to the Montreal website or go on Reverb.com and lay down about 100 bucks for the Your and Your Fuzz pedal and give it to your friend and say that your favorite podcast 
that you love very much recommended it, and he can take it up with us if he's disappointed. Thank you for driving a bus and doing it safely, Matt. Then we got another Matt writing in. Remember when we had all those dentists writing in? Now I have a second Matt. Mm-hmm. Matt's P. He says, this is a pedal connection for my brother. My brother is a professor. He has to pre-record all his lectures for the classes he's teaching. And he's having an existential crisis because he has to listen to those lectures. And he's realized that he sounds terrible, like he's trying to communicate primarily through his nose. Oh, do I know? Welcome to our world. Do I know that feeling? I could have told him this years ago, but of course he never asked, again, because he's a professor. Matt says, do you have a pedal mic setup he can plug into his computer and use to make his voice sound mellifluous, or at least not nasally? Modulating its tone mid-lecture might keep students' interest. I agree. Um, You know, Don Jr. could use that too. He -hmm. says, I feel like John and Starley might also have thoughts on a good tone for a lecture. If you have a pedal that can remove rhetorical ticks like so, okay, okay, so, he'd also like this. Well, that last part's not going to happen. John and Starley. A good tone? Yeah, what is a good speaking tone if you're a professor? We're supposed to tell him a tone to to aim for, and then he's supposed to do it like yeah, Elizabeth yeah, Holmes yeah. style, like he's going to Elizabeth Holmes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it? This box can diagnose any disease. Put your finger in it. Nothing bad will happen. I'm Elizabeth Holmes. I want to know what his tone, what's his tone now? We know his tone. I now? would imagine, based on the description, his tone is like this. Hi, everybody! Oh, it's time for another lecture. A long time ago, King Henry the Fourth decided to open the market in daffodils. Um, uh, let me find my notes here. Oh dear. Okay. Well, uh, in uh, the hypothesis of the hypotenuse is a plus six equals four. That's what he sounds like. Yeah, that's not great. I feel like a a. Uh deep, warm tone would be nice. We're talking an analog tone here, right, Starly? Yes. You know what? I think I found the pedal. Okay. I think I have the pedal because, Starly, you said warm and deep. Yeah. When you say deep, I think of an octave pedal. An octave pedal, you can drop or raise the octave With a little bit of sand signal. in it. I would like a little bit of grit. L- a little bit of grit. It, perfect. Okay. So most octave pedals these days are digital. And a lot of people say that digital pedals always just have a sort of harshness to their timbre. But the Boss OC2, and I was looking up this Boss OC2 on Reverb because another listener was asking for somebody to trade him a Boss OC2. This was an analog octave pedal. Now, Matt P., I'm going to tell you right now that according to Reverb, because these are no longer in production, this is going to run you about $400. Mm-hmm. However, if you think of buying this pedal for your brother as an investment in his career and a boost to his hopefully getting tenure someday, then I think it's a good investment. And for the grit, Starly wanted to want just a little bit of grit. Yeah. We're going to have to throw in a ring modulator. This is going to increase your budget by another about $150, $200, I'm afraid to say, Matt P. Worth it. And now the problem is he's nasally. He's already nasally. So the ring mod, when you buy that ring modulator, you're going to have to dial down the frequency that it's playing off of, dial it down low so that it's kind of like a sandy, cementy type of thing rather than a screechy thing. So, Matt P., this is, your, this is what it's going to cost you, about $500. You're going to get the Boss OC two octave pedal and then you can again Montreal Assembly these, that dude should sponsor this show the way I'm throwing around his pedals go buy the the, um, the Montreal Assembly ring modulator it's about 150 bucks my friend Daniel bought me one once for my birthday and that's what set me off on my pedal journey those are my pedal misconnections for this week I have more coming I'm still working on the spreadsheet but I think that's enough two and two two mats Brian in New Jersey 
Oscar and Steven, three musicians who are looking to collaborate. I'm going to figure out the best way to get your collaboration request going. I like the name Oscar. Election Profit Makers is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Rich Corson, and Daniel Powell. Please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers. That is currently our only source of podcast income. So every pledge helps. Patreon.com slash electionprofitmakers. Send your election prediction questions to contact at electionprofitmakers.com. Most importantly, follow John Kimball on Twitter at John Kimball, J-O-N-K-I-M-B-A-L-L. If you want to try Predict It, Go to www.predictit.org slash promo slash EPM20 to receive up to $20 in matching funds. And, of course, rate and review us on all those um, electronic interfaces for uh, listening to podcasts. I'm David Reese. I'm saying farewell to one and all. We'll talk to you next week on Election Profit Makers. Goodbye, Starly. Goodbye. Hopefully it'll be a better week for idols everywhere. (laughs) Goodbye, John. Goodbye.